This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Yesterday in the kitchen, uh, Josh said to me, it could be any temperature here. It could be any temperature, and I'd still be like, yep, this is Austin. Kind of, uh, kind of made me laugh a little bit about just being in Sashin and how it could be any men- mental state. <laughs> it's Sashin. <laughs> Welcome to day four. Day four is the most important day. Oftentimes in a seven-day sashin, you have uh, day four is a, um, marks the midpoint of a sashin. So lots of settling has happened already. Um, oftentimes pain becomes more and more, uh, comes to a point during day four. Feel it in your hips and your back and your shoulders, wherever it is that you experience pain. Oftentimes, day four is uh, can be kind of a, a can be a constant companion during sashin. Oftentimes, day four is uh, you know everything I'm saying. By the way, about day four, like your experience is your experience, <laughs> and that's maybe the the main point. Um, is to be stay close to your own experience. However, getting back to day four, day four oftentimes is kind of a, a, a turning point day too. There might be some releasing that happens. Maybe releasing has happened before day four. Maybe by day four you're coasting. Or maybe things are just getting worse and worse, and day four is like an escape day. (laughs) I've really appreciated uh, the last two uh, days of Dharma Talks. And um, on our theme, our discussions are are, uh, invoking enlightenment, this tricky business we, uh, we've gotten ourselves into. And yesterday, when Pat was talking, she talked about embodiment. And I wanted to uh, pick up a little bit from there in terms of this embodiment. And, uh, and before that, Tim talking about well, a bunch of different things, but in particular, talking about pain and how pain uh, pain can be our teacher. It brings us right to this moment. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about another enlightenment story, in particular, Dogen Zenji's enlightenment story. 
anybody, is anyone familiar with his enlightenment story? A little bit? Shinjin Datsu Raku, dropping off body and mind. So this embodiment, right, being within the body, being in embodied, caring for our bodies, paying special attention to the rising and falling in our breath associated with each uh, each um, each moment either inhaling or exhaling or noticing the turn between the inhale and the exhale what is dropping off body in sashimi what does it look like? What does it feel like? Dropping mind is easier to uh, to understand, right? Stop thinking, no thinking, non-thinking. This essential art that we're practicing, moment after moment. In the... Uh, in in the words that uh, second night of Sashin, second night of Sashin, uh, Tim read the poem, the song of the grass roof hut, where the last line is something like, do not separate from this skin bag here and now. If you want to know the undying, uh, undying man in the hut, don't, just don't separate from this skin bag. Yeah, who's the master in the hut? Don't separate from this skin bag. Really enjoy that phrase, skin bag. (laughs) So I think I will start by reading a little bit of this uh, enlightenment story. I've heard different versions of this story. This one that I'm reading from is from the transmission of the lamp record. But I've heard it from um, a number of different sources that Dogen, as you know, traveled to China uh, in search of Zen. He left Japan and took a pretty perilous journey to get to China. It's apparently very challenging to go by boat uh, across the Sea of Japan. And being in China for a number of years, he went from monastery to monastery and eventually found one that he decided he wanted to practice at, Rujing, Tiantong Rujing's monastery. And at one point, the story goes, Dogen, there is late night sitting happening. I don't know if it was during a sashin or not. But during some late night zazen, the monk who was next to Dogen was nodding off. So you can imagine like this bobbing happening during Sashin or or during Zazen. And Dogen was sitting there and Rujing walks in to the Zendo, or maybe he said this from his seat, but he he basically yelled out, uh, he admonished the 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 one who was who was sleeping. And he said, studying Zen is the dropping off of body and mind. 
It does not require burning incense, bowing, invoking the Buddha, making repentance, or reciting the scriptures. If you just sit single-mindedly, you will get it. This is uh, from our song, uh, our self-receiving and employing samadhi. This this line is uh, seems like it's started with Ru Jing. Dogen was sitting there and uh, woke up in that moment. He dropped off body and mind. And uh, later on, he went to Ru Jing to ask him about it, about, about the experience. This, uh, this method of waking up, oftentimes you'll, when you read the Enlightenment stories, it's amazing how many times a waking up moment happens after somebody makes a mistake. Actually, are you familiar with the phrase uh, one continuous mistake? Yeah. Sho shaku ju shaku, to succeed wrong with wrong. One continuous mistake. And Dogen talks a lot about this as well. So he went, Dogen went to Rujing's room, the abbot's room, and he burned incense. And Rujing asked him, why are you burning incense? Dogen answered, body and mind have dropped off. Rujing said, body and mind have dropped off. The dropped off body and mind. The master said, um, the master meaning Dogen, said, this is a temporary ability. You must not approve me without reason. Ru Jing replied, I am not approving you without reason. The master asked, Why are you not approving me without reason? And Ru Jing said, You dropped off body and mind. Dogen bowed. And then Ru Jing said, You have dropped off, dropping off. Then Ru Jing's attendant said, It is no small thing for a foreigner to experience this realm. Rujing then said, how many here have gotten it? Liberated, he is mild and peaceful, and the thunder roars. So, in this study, in this story, <clears throat> it is said that this, uh, this dropping off of body and mind led to Dogen's, uh, what we, one of the chants that we're chanting, we chanted this morning, the Genjo Koan, this uh, this line in the Bigenjo Koan to carry yourself forward and experience myriad things is delusion that myriad things come forth and experience themselves is awakening and then later to study the Buddha way is to study the self so this dropping off body and mind starts by paying very careful attention body and mind. To study the self is to forget the self. And to forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. When actualized by myriad things, your body and mind, as well as the bodies and minds of others, drop away. And no trace of realization remains but this no trace continues endlessly. 
What is this no trace? Isn't Tobin also called a traceless trace? A traceless trace, <laughs> yeah. The no trace that continues endlessly? Hmm. I'm not sure that it is karma. I'm not sure karma is... I wouldn't say that karma would be separate from it. But what is burning up one's karma? How do you do that? Anyone know how to burn up your karma? Yeah, you become awake to it, right? With deep study of conditioned, our conditioned existence. What do you think the importance of studying our pain is? Which is something that uh, no matter what you're experiencing, if it's you know pleasant, unpleasant, or just neutral, if you sit long enough with whatever it is, it will start to feel painful. <laughs> Yeah. So when we sit long enough, what happens to this pain? There's a trajectory, right? An arc. Tim described it in his talk as sometimes there's nothing but pain. You know the uh, story of when the uh, when it gets really hot. You let the heat kill you. When it gets really cold, you let the, the cold kill you. When we uh, are struggling and we want things to be another way, that is like the definition of not being in nirvana. <laughs> right? Where there's another shore we want to reach. We don't want to be where we are. What's nirvana? Freedom from suffering, yeah. And Reaching the other shore. No likes and dislikes. No likes or dislikes. Hmm. It's funny the, uh, you know, the the opening line of the Shinshin Ming, the great way is not difficult for those who, uh, I think it's like who have no preferences, right? To not have any likes or dislikes. Do we think that, I mean, I feel like that might be setting ourselves up <laughs> to say we're not going to have, there's going to be a, a point where we don't have, where our likes and dislikes don't arise. Or maybe, maybe once we've burned through all of our karma, <laughs> then maybe, maybe likes and dislikes don't arise. And at the same time, from our deluded state, from, you know, what would it be like thinking about that to not have any likes or dislikes arise? <laughs> <You're really boring. laughs> yeah, I remember Michael Wenger, who is the dean of Buddhist studies when I started at San Francisco Zen Center. He, uh, I remember him saying about the um, the Shinshin Ming that it was just a big joke. <laughs> the first line was like, "This is a big joke," you know. Uh, to, to be beyond likes and dislikes. 
it's funny because, you know, we, we hear, we chanted, uh, if the least like or dislike arises, the mind is lost in confusion. And yet, same thing with this uh, dropping off of body and mind. How do we... Um, how is it that myriad things come forth and experience themselves? Is that, just, does that describe a, a state of not having likes and dislikes arise? Not quite, right? It may not be my likes and dislikes. They may be likes and dislikes that are... Uh, you can see them as like, um, like bubbles that appear in a puddle in the rain. They appear and disappear. They come and go. Having, uh, having this day be the first day that we've experienced rain in some time is, I, I really, it reminds me of uh, sitting in the zendo at Tassajara in the, with a, when it had a tin roof and just hearing the raindrops on the roof, um, having it be cold and dark outside and windy and cold, you know, just like this feeling of coziness to be inside the zendo safe and warm. And then in the Genjo Khan, Dogen writes, when you first seek Dharma, you imagine it's far away. He says, you imagine you are far away from its environs. But Dharma is already correctly transmitted. You are immediately your original self. Do you trust that? Is it a matter of trust? Is it a matter of experiencing? You are immediately your original self. What is this original self? Is it beyond our likes and dislikes? Does it include our likes and dislikes? From the transmission story, Kazan Zenji says, people think there are two kinds of mind, one as thought and discrimination, and this, uh, this is this consciousness that discriminates our experiences or, or the external events or internal events, but discriminating good from bad. It's a dualistic consciousness. The second mind, that is a second mind that is still an unmoving and does not know or understand a thing. This mind of purity and stillness. People do not understand that such a mind is still not exempt from being the root of discriminating consciousness. The ancients referred to it as the place of deep inner brightness that is unmoved. Do not mistake this for mind and abide there. Looking more carefully, mind is of three kinds, mind, thought, and consciousness. 
Consciousness, like, is the mind that likes or dislikes, affirms or denies. Thought cognizes warm and cold and is aware of pain or a tickle. Mind does not discern right and wrong, nor is it aware of pain or tickle. It is like a wall, or like wood, or stone. It can be thought of as truly still, as if it had no ears or eyes. Therefore, speaking from the vantage point of mind, it is like a mannequin made of wood, or a human figure made of iron. Though you have eyes you do not see, though you have ears you do not hear, at this point, words do not do it justice. Although such a thing is mind, it is the seed of cognition of warmth, coldness, and awareness of pain and tickle. Thought and consciousness arise from this mind. At the end of his uh, of Kazan's explanation of Dogen's enlightenment story, he always has a, a poem that he reads. In this one, he says, that bright and shiny realm has neither inside nor outside. How can there be any body and mind to drop off? This mind, like a wall, is from Bodhidharma. Bodhidharma, uh, in his outline of practice, spoke of mind like a wall. From Hakuin's description of Bodhidharma's mind like a wall, Bodhidharma says, externally cut off all connections, internally you must not grasp, make your mind like a wall, thus you should enter the way. Hakuin says, this internally non-grasping, this non-grasping internally, means that you rely on your fundamental nature, your internal mind does not gasp for breath. And as for making your mind like a wall, means, from Hakuin, means to go straight ahead as if breaking through a great wall. I think of this as a, uh, not necessarily a determination that is something like, interestingly, when we talk about intention in Buddhism, Oftentimes we talk about intention as if like we produce an intention. That we think about it, we weigh it, we kind of discriminate between different intentions and then we select an intention and say, I'm going to go do this now. Right? But I think intention and vow more, maybe, is more, um, it's more co-created. It's not created by a discriminating mind. I think it bubbles up. And we, when we get quiet, when we have an opportunity, when we take the opportunity to silence, uh, to sit in silence, we pay careful attention to the arising and falling of all of our experience, starting with our breath, 
oftentimes the uh, breath counting is recommended. Right? How many of you count your breaths? Sometimes, yeah. Counting your breath is very helpful to, uh, I count my breath if I feel like I'm scattered or not present. It helps anchor me to count my breath. And then after a while of counting, I'll just allow the breath, right? It turns from counting into simply following the breath, right? When we are able to do this, we have some, we develop some kind of silence. It's like the vow or intention, in my experience, it kind of bubbles up from that silence, as opposed to being something that comes from a discriminating consciousness. I think it connects also to our, uh, as we're sitting, what we look at arising and ceasing along with our breath it could be thoughts those those drop away can drop away fairly quickly not quickly but uh, i think the thoughts can go before sensations so we might and they you know they rear their heads throughout of course but in terms of getting quieter and quieter i think the first mark of quieting down is when thoughts stop coming as quickly. Physical sensations, however, noticing, uh, and this is where pain becomes uh, a very important teacher. To notice physical sensations of pain and noticing because what oftentimes comes up with a physical sensation of pain is a dislike. Yeah desire to move away, the desire to move. And I think it's important, as Tim mentioned, that it's not, uh, it's important to not move, but you can move in the not moving as well. So please don't take what I'm saying as uh, an exhortation to sit through pain uh, if pain, the pain that you've discerned is... Um, maybe damaging pain. However, I think it is really important to sit through pain as an experiment. Finding out what does it mean to drop off body and mind in the midst of pain. When we sit like a log, another one of Bodhidharma's expressions, to sit like a log, the mind like a wall, I think what that refers to is a, uh, it's not that we don't experience these arising and ceasing of uh, passing thoughts and sensations but rather that our grasping of them or our attachment to them softens. The boundary between self and other can soften. The boundary between inside and outside 
from Uchiyama Roshi, who said, It is a fairy tale to think that once we have attained deep faith or have had some great enlightenment experience, our whole life will be one joyous delight after another and all sadness will be swept away so that all we can see is paradise. Living a life of true reality Experiencing an ongoing restlessness with alternate moments of joy and sadness, there has to be a settling into one's life in a much deeper place where you face whatever comes up. Likewise, true religious teaching is not a denial of our day-to-day predicaments. It is not cleverly glossing over reality or feigning happiness. On the contrary, True religious teaching has to be able to show us how we can swim through one wave at a time. That is, those waves of laughter, tears, prosperity, or adversity. So this practice, uh, practice enlightenment, or this idea of practice, enlightenment, not being separate. Not that we, uh, normally we think of practicing and practicing and practicing like honing a new skill. There's an expression, shusho ichinyo, practice and enlightenment are one. And this verification, so when Dogen goes in to see Ru Jing, he's asking for verification. He lights incense. And Ru Jing's like, what are you up to? (laughs) Or in the situation where the myriad things come forth and experience themselves, there's a verification in that. What is this true reality that Uchiyama talks about? This life of a true reality. He says, experiencing an ongoing restlessness with alternate moments of joy and sadness. Does this sound like uh, a state of not having likes or dislikes arise? No. But this verification of what this is, this true reality, like how do we verify this in our experience? What does it feel like to settle into this moment and to allow all things to be just as they are? Is it a realm of no mistakes? Perfect harmony? Both both people who are working in the kitchen are shaking their heads. (laughs) (laughs) And I think this is true. Like, the the kitchen is a zendo. And... uh, and being, being with each moment, oftentimes I think kitchen practice 
you know, it's it's kind of like a, in some ways a faster practice than zazen, but uh, oftentimes no less deep. Right? In the sense that uh, things become more clear more quickly <laughs> in the kitchen because they're you know. <laughs> Burning, <laughs> or, <laughs> or drowning, or uh, yeah. So, if we notice ourselves uh, trying to uh, cleverly gloss over reality, right? When we have some kind of verification. A verification moment. When we're swimming around in zazen, it may be, uh, you know, we might be, our minds might get caught on something and we may not recognize it for some time. Right? But oftentimes when we practice intimately with one another, we notice more quickly when something is uh, amiss. And that's when. Uh, Maybe the teacher comes in and yells at the person who's sleeping, and then you wake up. Maybe the person who's sleeping doesn't wake up. <laughs> the person sitting next to them wakes up. When I think of uh, Suzuki Roshi, <clears throat> I was trying to think of um, Enlightenment stories. So the transmission of the lamp record goes from, it's a compilation, and there's a number of different compilations. This one that I have right here is the Zen Master Kazan's compilation. It goes from Shakyamuni Buddha all the way up to Kon Ejo, who is, or does it go to Tetsukikai? Kon Ejo. It goes all the way up to Kon Ejo. Um, But there are other records of enlightenment stories that uh, are compilations that Kazan used to create this one. But these enlightenment stories, I wonder what Suzuki Roshi's enlightenment story is. And, yes, Pat? No, you made me wonder too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, when I think of... Uh, I can think of one of them, is that he was, I don't know how old he was, he went. He was working somewhere. He went into a like a, a freezer where they were hanging meat or something. Yeah. He walked into a hook and it hooked under his orbital bone. And he basically knew that he if, he if he moved it would poke his eye out. So he just had to stand there with this hook in his eye until mm. somebody came to help him. Mm. He talks about that as a kind of mm. experience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, actually, when I started thinking about all the ones that could could be like potential like um, enlightenment, like uh, and like you mentioned in your talk, it's not like there's like one big enlightenment experience. It's like okay, now we're done. <laughs> you know, let's you know smoke some cigars and <laughs> toast. <laughs> right? It's like these these moments of uh, of enlightened activity or enlightenment. Uh, Just, just being, just being there. Right. When I think of Suzuki Roshi's stories, actually, the ones that are like I think of as being in his enlightenment stories, 
are almost all experiences of something gone wrong. Some mistake was made, like walking into a hook. <laughs> I mean, how's that like not a mistake? <laughs> He almost drowned, and there's a, well, he almost drowned at Tassajara. I remember that how that uh, that story of like seeing people's legs from him as he was sinking, <laughs> thinking, "Wow." Um, but then there's the one where uh, his he was practicing with, um, I think it was his father's teacher, and this is the one with the the burying of the radishes. So these moldy radishes that were served day after day, eventually this, the students decided they were going to bury them in the backyard. And the next day they appeared oh. <laughs> again in the third bowl. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think uh, when he, I've heard that story a couple times in different, different tellings. Uh, Susie Gershi told it, I think, frequently. But again, think about some of your own experiences where there was an aha moment where it's like, oh, ah, you know, and what preceded it? Oftentimes when, um, you know, in terms of losing our train of uh, concentration, right, we have to find our way back. But what happens right before we try to find our way back to concentration? We've lost it. <laughs> We've lost our concentration and that, you know, we, when we realize that we've lost our concentration, that's when we make, uh, we turn, again, it's not an intention in a sense of, it's not a selfing intention, right? It's more like just something that spontaneously can happen. It's like a turning inward that can happen in response to uh, seeing a mistake. We have a number of, uh, of people this Sashin who are taking on new new roles, which is fantastic. Lots of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> this morning I had a moment in uh, where I was thinking about something, and I um, during the Oriyoki meal, and I think uh, Sherry came over and was with the water buckets, and I had just it was just a simple thing where I had was lost in thought and I did something that was a mistake, you know, in the, in the, the flow of the ceremony that we do called Oriyoki, where I drank my water before the server came to collect it. I was just like, oh, it's starting to drink over. And then she looked at me, Sherry looked at me and was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and it was, uh, it, actually that felt like a, a moment of like, here I am, right here, right now. There it is. Right? And I think of this, um, you know, I don't want to say that was an enlightenment experience. <laughs> um, however, um, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it as a moment of waking up. A very, very small moment. And then when we get uh, when we get stuck on these moments, right? I mean, it's one thing to have a have a moment and to appreciate it and to maybe bring it out every once in a while and share it with others, as like, oh yeah, this happened, right? As a teaching story, right? But when we dwell on it, you know, it can be very easy for us 
we're so, you know, we're soft and squishy inside. So we can be very, uh, uh, um, sometimes fragile, even, when we make mistakes. So how to stay connected to the whole experience from recognition to, uh, to seeing the, the next moment of um, whether it be laughing about it, judging it harshly, beating yourself up, right? How to fold all of those experiences in so that the dropping off of body and mind doesn't negate the experience of being connected to body and mind, completely connected to body and mind, and allowing body and mind to be just body and mind. I think when we do this, moment after moment, we come to a, uh, again, it may not be a, a realization with a capital R, but a, a softening around what's happening, and maybe, maybe a, a, a little realization of, oh, this very mind is Buddha. Just this. Ah. <sighs> So, as we go forward, uh, maybe I'll just say a few things. Um, as you can see, our numbers are dwindling. <laughs> we, um, we started this sashin on a Saturday, and it runs through Friday. And a number of people have signed up when they could for the beginning part, and then are uh, leaving us afterwards. But we have a num couple of people who are joining us towards the end. I think, Josh, you're sitting the last couple of days as well. And, um, and then, of course, we have our, our people who come in from, uh, who are here in the morning and the evening but have to go off and work. But I wanted to mention that in terms of the container, the feeling of, uh, of being contained as a individual, both in your own body and mind, the feeling of, you know, our little, our little world right here on this square Zabaton, right? To really take care of that container, right? Individually, but also collectively to, um, yeah, to appreciate the energy that has been put into this, uh, this retreat, this sitting, this sitting energy. Uh, unfortunately, it's, it's flu season, and we lost a couple people to illness as well, uh, who were planning on being here for the, for the duration and had to cancel last minute. Uh, so as we get, uh, our, our we'll get a little bit more uh, small in our, in our group. Uh, and so a lot of little things like... Ooh, doing some of the jobs, doing some of the positions, um, we'll just move forward together and, and pick up bits and pieces as we go. So we have lots of opportunities to um, make mistakes together.
Thank you very much.